Lapcom Communications. Welcome to this episode of the Sunday Schmooze. This podcast series features Rabbi David Vigler, co-host Mitch Zachary, and select guests. Rabbi Vigler was ordained in 2004 in Melbourne, Australia, and spent the next 10 summers learning, teaching, and sharing the concepts of Chabad Lubavitch movement in places like Kyoto, Luxembourg, and Eindhoven. Rabbi Vigler and his wife, Rebetzin Chana Vigler, have been married for 14 years. They have eight children. Rabbi David Vigler is one of nearly 5,000 Chabad Lubavitch rabbis around the world. Together with Hannah, they work 24-6, serving their chosen community, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, population nearly 60,000. Its most famous residents, tennis superstars Serena and Venus Williams, who live less than two miles from the converted fire station that is now a most modern Chabad of Palm Beach Gardens. Rabbi David Vigler and Rabbi Hannah Vigler are on a mission connect with every Jewish family and share the meaning and message of life as seen through the lens of Kabbalah, the Hasidic movement, and the teachings of the Rebbe. Now, friends, let me tell you this, that any Chabad in the world, we are all about education. We're about teaching people. The question is, what are we teaching people? A lot of people are intrigued and uh, excited to learn about something called the Kabbalah. Chabad is actually not a denomination of Judaism. It is not a uh, form of Judaism. It is a philosophy which teaches Kabbalah to the layman. In order to discuss this very exciting and fundamental conversation, we have with us this morning, live in the studio, a Kabbalah teacher from the city of Kabbalah, the city of Tzfat in the north of Israel. Good morning, Rabbi Eyal Reis from the Tzfat Kabbalah Center. Good morning, Rabbi Wigler. It's great being here. It's a pleasure and an honor, a privilege to have a Kabbalah teacher from Tzfat right here with us in the studio. Uh, Rabbi Reis, um, tell us, what is the Tzfat Kabbalah Center? Tzfat Kabbalah Center is an educational spiritual center that works mainly on the platform of tourism. We host at our center an average of 30,000 visitors every year who participate to take part in various programs that last between a week to, I mean, that's the longest, like a week or sometimes even eight days, and the shortest like an hour. People come to Tzfat to immerse themselves. So you can come to Tzfat for an immersive one-hour Kabbalah seminar or a week-long Kabbalah seminar. This is very exciting. Are these all Jewish people that are coming? No, not just. Um, to our center, I'd say it's an average, let's say, like uh, 75-80% Jews, and the rest are not Jewish crowd. It comes from, again, all over the world. We work in Spanish, English, Russian, German, Amazing. Dutch. So we here are reaching all sorts of people many of whom have no relationship with a rabbi or a rebbetzin, certainly no synagogue affiliation, and they listen to us and this is their only Jewish connection. They maybe have heard a little bit about Kabbalah in the newspapers and the media, maybe through Madonna. Can you tell us, our listeners, Rabbi Reis, what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is part of the oral Torah received at Mount Sinai 3,330 years ago, exactly. Whoa, 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 slow slow down, slow down. slowing down. Kabbalah is part of the oral Torah. Oral tradition, oral Torah received at Mount Sinai, yes. 3,330 years ago. 3,330 years ago and counting. So somebody heard this on Mount Sinai. Who was that? No, what we all heard at Mount Sinai, actually millions of people were there, we heard the Ten Commandments afterwards. 
for 40 days, as we know, Moses went to the mountain, hearing directly from God. Right, so we all know that Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, but we also know that he only brought down the Ten Commandments. So for heaven's sake, pardon the pun, what was he doing there for 40 days and 40 nights? He actually learned all of the written Torah, which is later and was known as the five books of Moses from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Alongside with it came an oral Torah, which explains the written text. And that he taught over 40 years to all the Israelites. You know, I've heard a great story from a Kabbalist of Tzfat, the most famous Kabbalist ever to live in Tzfat, was the Arizal. He lived there for only two years, in the 1500s? In the 1500s, yes, and he completely revolutionized our understanding of the Kabbalah. But hold on a second, I'm going to share with you a quick story about the Arizal, uh, which right. relates to Moses on Mount Sinai. One time, it was a Shabbat afternoon, and the Arizal, who literally revolutionized the Kabbalah, I'm going to ask you if, the, if you agree with my, my point here, that he was the one who, who really made the Kabbalah from accessible to most people. Until that point, nobody was able to access it. He was the one who said, It is a mitzvah from now on to publicize the, the wisdom, this wisdom, which until this point was a secret. We're going to talk about why it was a secret, why the Kabbalah was such a secret until 500 years ago. But, but when he did this, and one time on a Shabbat afternoon, he fell asleep, took a nap. And when he woke up, he told his students that if I was to tell you what I witnessed in the past hour or so while I was sleeping, the visions that I saw, it would take me over 80 years of speech. Which means, obviously, that a person, it, it, it takes a lot longer to write something than it is to describe something. It takes a lot longer to describe something than it does to see something. Seeing, you can see a thousand details. A picture is a thousand words, right? When you see a vision, when you see a movie, it, 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 it could take you one hour to see the movie, but it could take you a book, an entire book to describe the story. So when Moses was on Mount Sinai, the visions of godliness, the secrets of the universe that he was exposed to on the mountain is what became encapsulated in the pages of what is called the books of Kabbalah. How's that for a description, Rabbi Reese? There's no words that I can add to this amazing description. So you agree? Thank I agree you. 100%. <laughs> but I want to say that you know, yeah. we're actually in Kabbalah, in Kabbalah and Kabbalistic tradition, that actually the ascent of the soul of the Holy Ari when he took that nap, there's even like an explanation that his soul went up to the spiritual world of formation, which is above the time, totally above time. And that explains, you know, the gaps. You know, it took him short time of experience in that spiritual world but when he actually had, had to download it here to this world which is called in Kabbalah we call this physical world the world of action it would take there for so so many years because that spiritual world of formation is like really above time I want to say something about the word Kabbalah yeah you know why this wisdom is called Kabbalah we should know that this is relatively a, a new term a new word uh, associated and connected uh, to that ancient wisdom of thousands of years the name is only like 700 years old and what's the source and root of this name Kabbalah? Kabbalah is a Hebrew word which means reception, receiving. When Kabbalah was first revealed in Provence, Montpellier, southern France, approximately 770 years ago by a Kabbalist by the name of Rabbi Isaac the Blind. Rabbi 770 years ago? Yes. Rabbi Isaac the Blind yes. in Provence? In Provence, Montpellier, he crossed the border then to... That was south of France. That was south of France. He crossed the border to northern Spain, to the area called the Catalonia, which is now very famous. Oh, Catalonia wants to secede now. They want to make their own country. Exactly. That's Catalonia. Okay. Exactly. That same Catalonia. And he went to the city of Girona in northern Catalonia. It's called Costa Brava. And there he opened the first school ever 
to teach publicly the secrets of the Kabbalah. Shortly after, in another part of Spain, a city called Guadalajara in Castilla, a Kabbalist by the name of Rabbi Moshe de Leon, revealed the Zohar, the classical text of Kabbalah, written in the area of Tzad 2,000 years ago. Whoa, whoa, this is a lot of information. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to slow you down, Rabbi. You're like, you're like overflowing here. Uh, I'm Rabbi David Viglov, Chabad of Palm Beach Gardens, where you'll find traditional Jewish values for contemporary Jews just like you. My guest this morning in the studio is Rabbi Eyal Ries of the Tzvat Kabbalah Center, and he's talking about a section of the Kabbalah which is not very well known. And I'm intrigued by what you're talking about. You're saying that something happened 770 years ago yes. in Montpellier, Mont- Montpellier. In, in, in the south of France, where Rabbi, Rabbi Isaac the Blind opened a yeshiva in Catalonia, where he started teaching Kabbalah to the masses. This is before Not the great... the masses, but students and publicly, openly. It, more than it was until then, because for thousands 100%. of years, the Kabbalah was a dark secret. secret. Not allowed to, sh- to Nobody share. was allowed to talk Not, about it. This no. was the first time, 770 years Correct. ago, when the Kabbalah was, was revealed in, in a more... In, in a less guarded Reveal? fashion. Reveal? And then you said there was another rabbi who was the other one? Correct. There was, there was Rabbi Moshe de Leon, but Rabbi Moshe de Leon in Castilla, in Guadalajara, in Spain, he actually lived in the same time of the Ramban, Nachmanides. And Nachmanides, Ramban, he was a student of the student of Rabbi Isaac the Blind, who we mentioned before. Rabbi oh, Isaac so the Blind. two generations after Rabbi Isaac the Blind. Co- correct. Rabbi Isaac the Blind had two famous students known as Rabbi Ezra and Rabbi Azriel of Girona. And they were the scholars who actually passed on the secrets of Kabbalah, the will of Kabbalah to Nachmanides, uh, the Ramban, who also lived like 700 years ago. However, what I want to say is at that time already, in few place, places in Spain, people starting, started hearing about the Kabbalah. Later on, Northern Africa. Italy, Greek island, Eretz Israel. So this is long before the Spanish expulsion, correct? Definitely. And, okay. and what happened over those years before the Spanish expulsion was the people that actually heard for the first time of the Kabbalah, the text, the teaching, the, the, the methodology of understanding spiritual words, spiritual commentary to biblical texts, the soul, the secret of the letters of Yehuda Levet, they asked themselves and asked others and asked scholars and asked rabbis, is this for real? Is this really part of the oral Torah received at Mount Sinai? If this is so, guys, come on, tell us the truth. How come we never heard of it? Maybe this is some kind of a Neoplatonic philosophy you guys took from the Greeks, from, 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 from the Muslims, from the Spanish people. If this is part of the oral Torah, how come we never heard of it? Tell us the truth, rabbis. And the rabbis told the truth. They said, it's Kabbalah. That's when the name came into use. Kabbalah. Ah, that was when the we name came. We have received this wisdom. We from didn't the, make it up. We didn't make it up. We received it from the elders, from the prophets. Fascinating. From, fascinating. All the way back to from Moses at Mount So, uh, So the name Kabbalah was a response to those who tried to say that the teachings of, of, the, of the, the secrets of the universe that the Jews were teaching 770 years ago, a response to those who, who accused us from stealing this from other cultures... We, they, they said it's Kabbalah, it's a tradition dating back down to, to Moses and Mount Sinai. That's where the name came from. That's how they started to use the name. Mind you, I, we should add, the term Kabbalah, you know, is referring to spiritual, you know, reception of wisdom, is old. We find it in the Talmud. Kabbalah you know, Bayadenu, uh, it is a tradition in, in our hands. In one way, but also in regard to, to a pre, be, um, uh, prophecies, biblical prophets, you know, the words are called Kabbalah in the Talmud. So it's all about receiving, you know, wisdom, you know, godly wisdom, spiritual wisdom. So the term was used, but in a different way. Now it's used in regard to that part of the oral Torah, which the time for it to be shared with the world and be available and accessible started then 770 years ago. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Shmooze of the Rabbi and the CEO. Mitch Zachary is the CEO of Zachary Financial Consultants. I'm Rabbi David Vigler of Chabad Palm Beach Gardens. Our guest this morning, Rabbi Eyal Reis of the Tzfat Kabbalah Center. Rabbi Reis is telling us that the name Kabbalah really came into circulation when a man 
by the name of Rabbi Isaac the Blind, 770 years ago, in the south of France, broke the ranks of the secrets of the Kabbalah. And he opened the yeshiva to teach Kabbalah to wider circles of people than the, the closely guarded secret that it was until that time. Why then, Rabbi Reese? Why then? Why did he decide to change this? And, and what can you tell us about Rabbi Isaac the Blind? What kind of name is that, Rabbi Isaac the Blind? Well, he was blind. In Hebrew, we call him Rabbi Yitzchak Sagino. He was, in fact, a son of a very famous scholar, um, the Ravid. He was the son of the Ravid? The son of the Ravid. Oh, the Ravid was, the a, was famous a great Ravid. commentary on, on, on Maimonides. The, on Maimonides. And by the way, we also know in the Kabbalistic tradition, a Hasidic also tradition, of course, that Maimonides himself was a Kabbalist. Oh, yes. Maimonides was a Kabbalist, but he lived right at the edge of the time when it was still... Of the secrets. Of the secrets. And therefore, he didn't fully reveal, you know, the secrets of Kabbalah, never claimed to be a Kabbalist, never shared the wisdom. However, we see in Yad HaChazaka, the halachic uh, famous work of, uh, of Maimonides, in the beginning, you know, what's called the Book of Knowledge, and the, he quotes actually from the Zohar. He actually quotes passages from Who the does? Zohar. Maimonides? Oh, of course, Maimonides, at the beginning of his works. Yes, yeah, beginning of his, his halachic works. You know. do, do you realize that the name Rabbi Isaac the Blind in Hebrew is not the blind? Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Sagina Hall actually translates as Rabbi Isaac of the Abundant Light. So in Hebrew, it's used as an opposite. So, you know, sometimes you describe a blind person as having too much light. But maybe they meant it as a compliment to say, Rabbi Isaac with the abundant light who was able to, able to teach the secrets of the Kabbalah. So what then, Rabbi Reese, was the reason Why that then? 770 years ago, this rabbi decided to suddenly publicize the Kabbalah? So that's it. He didn't just decide. As, just like my Mondays knew that the time has not come yet in his time, Rabbi Isaac knew that the time has come in his time for the revelation. Now, we can, there's, there's, there's a macro answer and there's a micro-specific answer. Micro. Well, you know, if we look at history, uh, cultural, uh, spiritual uh, history, intellectual history of Europe of that time, especially Western Europe, we see a growth in philosophy. Spain, again, Italy, you know, Muslims, Christians, philosophy, philosophy, philosophy. So then the Jewish scholars actually, <laughs> they could tell, you know, that this kind of philosophy, you know, foreign alien philosophy, you know, it's kind of dangerous to, to Jewish life. It's endangering it, you know. This is the time for the Kabbalah. Instead of just asking questions, philosophizing, does God exist? What's the human nature? Who are we? Let's teach everyone Kabbalah. How, Kabbalah means how we have received the answers to those questions, how things really work. It's like manufacturer's guide. It's like God is telling you, this is how I make you. There's, there's a soul to everything. There's a reason to everything. That's what Kabbalah teaches. This is like, let's say, you know what, from the micro, you know, uh, situation then uh, in Western Europe. But from a, a macro perspective, we learn... Just one second. Before you go to the macro perspective, I want to make sure that I understood what you, the way you explained the micro. Right. You're saying that 770 years ago, when the Kabbalah was starting to become disseminated in public circles, the reason for that was because Judaism faced the threat of the allure of other cultures, particularly the Muslim culture, which was very, very educated and um, learned culture. Those countries where Maimonides and uh, Spain, France, these were Muslim countries where our, our youth were, were, were drawn towards other cultures and they felt that they needed to respond. This, the Jewish sages needed to give the Jewish youth something that they could sink their teeth into to feel proud and, and affiliate with their own Jewish identity instead of needing to search in other pastures. So what Maimonides did was, is that he wrote a book called The Guide to the Perplexed, Moren Nevuchim, which is a very complicated work and it was a, a, an attempt to 
to inspire those whose faith is weak. But the Kabbalists soon realized that we have to unleash, we have to open the, uh, the crown jewels in order to give the people the, uh, the very essence of, Jew, of, Jew, of Jewish uh, faith, of Jewish uh, mysticism, to be able to inspire them to stay true to their core Jewish values and not need to, to be drawn towards the seduction of the world around them, whether it was in other cultures or the seduction of sin itself, which obviously was, was spreading as well. So that's a great reason why the Kabbalah was suddenly disseminated uh, just about 770 years ago by Rabbi Isaac of the Great Light. But what about the macro reason? The macro reason is the following. We've got to understand a little bit of Hebrew. You know, in Hebrew language, there's no such thing as synonyms. On the contrary, the philosophy... No words mean the same. No exactly. words. Exactly. The philosophy and practicality of the grammar of our language, of this beautiful language called Hebrew or Lashon HaKodesh, is emphasizing actually the, the uniqueness of each word. And, and, and of course, every word is unique because every word is, is a composition of unique composition of, of, of letters, you know. And uh, therefore, but... Every word in Hebrew, whether it's a noun, an adjective, a verb, is consisted of root letters. And these are the laws of our grammar and philosophy, again, and wisdom, that if you find different words altogether, yet they share the same root letters. They're related. They're related and they're connected. So they're not synonyms. They don't mean the no, same thing. of course not. But they have an underlying connection. Absolutely. And that's the case of the word Kabbalah associated with the word Hakbalah in Hebrew, a word from the Torah, a very similar word. The root letters, the KBL sounds, the Kuf, Bet, Lamed, actually even in the same order. So Hakbalah means parallels, symmetry. What's the analogy? The teachings of the Kabbalah are all based on models of parallels, symmetries, correspondence between physical and spiritual, body and soul, lights and vessels. As below, so above. Microcosmos, microcosm, human godly, and so on and so forth. So, as such, Kabbalah explains the parallels also in the dimension of time between the seven days of the week, since the creation, and the seven millenniums of the age of the world. For example, we're now in the year 5778 from the creation. That's Jewish calendar, uh, Jewish uh, chronology. So therefore, we're in the last quarter, actually, of the sixth millennium. So from that macro perspective, actually, we look at, you know, <laughs> the calendar, uh, the years chronologically, and we realize at the time that Rabbi Isaac the Blind started teachings revealing the secrets of Kabbalah was right at the beginning of the sixth millennium in the year 5000. Right now we are in the year 5778 since creation. According to this calculation, 770 years ago was exactly the beginning of the sixth millennium. Mm -hmm. That was exactly when Rabbi Isaac of the Great Light, Rabbi Isaac the Blind, started to teach the Kabbalah. So what happened in the year 5000? In that okay. case. Okay, so in that case, if you look at things like uh, cosmologically or for like the micro I, I suggested before, we realize that the, the year 5000 marks the beginning of the sixth millennium, which is parallel to the beginning of the sixth day of the week. Now, just imagine, I'm sure our listeners can, can, can conceptualize and understand it very simply. You know, we wake up Friday morning. Is it Jew? What do you think of? Shabbat that's coming. What about the chalas? What about the bread? What about the drinks? What about the clothing? What about the children? What about the guests? What about, you know, <laughs> I have to finish work. I have to do this. I have to do that. Shabbat is coming, you know. So Friday morning, Friday morning the beginning of the Friday of the sixth day is all about the direction, preparation, spiritual preparation for Shabbat. And the same thing is with the Kabbalah. The revelation was the beginning of the sixth millennium to prepare the minds of people for what's called the seventh millennium, the end of the sixth millennium. Revelation of godliness, understanding Godly mechanism, what's behind, what's a spiritual, soulful wisdom, explaining, teaching the inner dimension of the world we're living in. 
Fascinating. What a great answer. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Schmooze with the rabbi and CEO, Mitch Zachary is the CEO. I'm Rabbi David Vigler of Chabad of Palm Beach Gardens. And our guest this morning in the studio, live in the studio, is Rabbi Eyal Reis of the uh, Tzfat Kabbalah Center. And he's explaining a fascinating historical point of the Kabbalah. He's saying that the Kabbalah is the teachings of... Uh, God, the secrets of the universe that were taught to Moses on Mount Sinai in closely guarded secrets for 2,500 years. 770 years ago, they started to become disseminated publicly by Rabbi Isaac the Blind in the area of France. Why that happened, explains Rabbi Ries, is because 770 years ago was the beginning of the sixth millennium since creation, the year 5000, which corresponds, parallels, the sixth day of the week, the sixth day of the week, which is the, the, the time where we start to prepare for Shabbat. How does that, how does the study of the Kabbalah relate to Shabbat? Wow. <laughs> okay, for that we have to touch base with Tzfat. <laughs> Shabbat is the soul of the week, you know. Sometimes people think, oh, wait a second, Shabbat is, is, is different. I, I do this, or I don't do that, or I go to synagogue. As we're More. <laughs> Shabbat is the soul of the week, you know, it's it what gives you the, the light, the life, the spirituality, the meaningfulness for the rest of the six days. Like also in the dimension of space, you know, we find the number seven, you know, there's six corners, right, left, up, down, back and forth. Call it uh, north, uh, south, uh, east and west and uh, up and down. And there's the seventh dimension, the inner dimension. So Shabbat is therefore known as the soul of the week. Now, the soul of the week, when you think of the word soul, soul is something vibrant, moving, you know. Shabbat is not just like 24 hours, which is all the same. Kabbalah explains how in Shabbat, it's such a beautiful feeling, you know, when Shabbat comes in, it's like one frequency of divine light. And then the next morning, wow, it's a different thing. And then the Shabbat afternoon, it's all like a motion of spirituality, which is so beautiful. Amazing. So, so you're saying that just like Shabbat is the soul of the week, you're saying that Kabbalah is the soul of the universe. Exactly. Tell us, Rabbi Reis, my guest this morning from Tzfat Kabbalah Center, if you had to describe, we spoke a lot about what the history of Kabbalah is. Tell us, what is Kabbalah? Can you tell us Kabbalah for dummies in, uh, in uh, three sentences or less? What is Kabbalah? Okay, so I tell you, when uh, people come to my center, you know, I come from all over the world, different languages, again, English, and, and they ask me the kind of question, you know, like, Rabbi, do you have a book, uh, Kabbalah for Dummies or something? No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. From the perspective of Kabbalah, there's no such thing as dummies. No such thing, you know. We all have the knowledge, you know, embedded inside of us, engraved inside of us. We're just there. Look, Kabbalah teaches you divine providence. What's divine providence? You know, sometimes we live life, you know, and this thing happened, the other thing happened, you know. Everything physical, mundane, has a reason, has a soul. Kabbalah teaches you to appreciate what's called divine providence relate to, you know what, the godly message behind things. Things don't just happen. They don't just respond to things. Oh, he said that, she said that. Oh, I heard this. What is the reason? What is God trying to tell me? How do I refine myself? Refining the, 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 the self, the, the character. If I heard something, saw something, you know, if I, if I spoke to another person, maybe we can help together a third person. What's the best thing to do, to do right now? How do I decide? How do I make decisions? Kabbalah is very practical. Kabbalah is part of the Torah and the Zohar. The classical text of Kabbalah we mentioned before teaches us that the word Torah means guideline. And the Torah, the wisdom of the Torah is not just to remain, you know, in the, in the yeshiva, in the study hall, in the synagogue. It's actually life. It's a soul of life. You bring this wisdom to day-to-day -to -day life. That's what's so beautiful about it. 
Wow. So you're saying that the Kabbalah then is the secrets of life? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Fascinating stuff. So if you want to hear about the secrets of life, you can... Uh, you can actually study the Kabbalah. It's available. Until 700 years ago, you'd have a problem. But nowadays, the secrets of life, as told by God to Moses on Mount Sinai and passed down 3,330 years all the way down to us, to our Kabbalah teachers, you'll be able to learn about the secrets of life. Rabbi Reese is my guest this morning from the Tzfat Kabbalah Center. Tell me, Rabbi Reese, what is your favorite Kabbalistic teaching? Something that inspires you personally, that wow. talks to you. Wow. Okay, so I'll tell you my deepest secrets, personal secrets. Don't tell anyone. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> Just our listeners. There's one book which inspires me more than, honestly, personally. I mean, I love all types of study, you know, and all types of books of God. And all, you know, there are three major paradigms of Kabbalah. There's a Kabbalist of Tzfat, there's medieval, there's current, there's Hasidic, there's all ways, all type of, you know, the Zohar, and even from before the Zohar, Sefer Yetzirah, the book of creation, attributed to the patriarch Abraham, Sefer Abahir, Sefer Yetzirah, these are ancient, ancient texts, even from before the Zohar, thousands of years old. So there's all sorts of Kabbalistic texts, okay. And what is the one that I like the most? And the one that I teach also. And by the way, I want to mention, I personally also teach online, meaning all of the technology that we have nowadays, I teach on Skype or Zoom or whatever, you know, groups, individuals, different languages, other scholars in our center Video conferencing? Teach. Video conferencing, it's all available, availability, it's through media, it's through meetings, it's through take a plane and come to Tzfat and this and that. Now you ask me about the text, I am moved by Tanya. Tanya, Hasidic philosophy, is the most current paradigm of the Kabbalah. In fact, some of the greatest Rebbeim, Hasidic masters, have called the Hasidic philosophy, they titled it, the soul of the Kabbalah. The book of Tanya. For example, the Tanya, yes. So you're saying the book of Tanya is the soul of the Kabbalah? Absolutely. 100%. So it's the soul of the soul, because the Kabbalah is the soul of, uh, of the universe. Absolutely. And the, and, and the term soul, we should know neshama in Hebrew. How the Zohar refers to the term neshama. Neshama means inner dimension. Everything is an inner dimension, an inner dimension, and another layer, and another layer. Tanya, the teachings of the Tanya enable a person who just opened the text, even for the first time, to get in touch with himself, with his soul. It is the godliness which is inside of him. With the wisdom, it's like touching breath with your spiritual DNA. And also teaching guidelines, you know, how to, how to apply it in day-to-day -day life. You know, I like your analogy of mentioning the spiritual DNA. What this means, that the Kabbalah is the soul of the universe. You see, just like when you build a house, you need to have plans. You need to have architectural plans, electrical plans, engineering plans, plumbing plans. And it's based upon these plans that the house is able to come to life. So the, the, uh, the vision of the builder... The plans of the builder is what is considered the soul of the house. Would you not agree that the, that the Kabbalah is the soul of the universe in the sense that creation came about? Absolutely, yes. But you know, like, I'll give you an analogy. You know, when Tzfat is a beautiful city and very spiritual, it's, you know, wow. People come out, they appreciate, they sense something special, unique. You know, there's a reason why all the Kabbalists... Prophets were, dra to were drawn to Tzfat from four corners of the world, even from before the explosion from Spain, before, after, up until these very days. I mentioned art before. Imagine a picture, you know, and you're looking at a piece of art and you say, wow, it's beautiful. You come closer, you see the details, you understand, of course, what takes you, you know, but wait a second, there's a, there's a little plaque, you start reading, what's there, what's the story behind it? So you read the story behind the details, behind the colors. Wow, the artist actually brought it like an idea. They said, you know, dimension to the inner dimension. And later on, you start reading the biography of the artist himself. You see the artist himself in the picture. 
not just uh, what he had in mind, what he wished, or what he wanted, what he wanted to share, what he experienced. It's he himself. Same thing with the teachings of the Tanya. It's like you find godliness, meaningfulness, and from its source and essence, and it speaks to you because you've got this essential godliness inside of you, and it awakens it. That's, that's so beautiful. Wow. So the study of a Kabbalah, thank you, Rabbi Reese. So the Tzvat Kabbalah Center, I guess this morning in Shmuz Radio here, um, is explaining that the teachings of the Kabbalah are effectively the uh, introduction, telling us about the artist. It's telling us about who created this world, getting to know the artist. That's a great analogy there. And I want to tell you, you know, from my personal perspective, my, my personal inspiration, is that what the Kabbalah does for me is that it makes... It, it, it allowed me to realize that, that the soul of Ju- or, or that Judaism is about reaching a state of divine consciousness. You see, we live our lives running the rat race. We're trying to pay our bills and, you know, graduate from college and be accepted to college and football teams winning, losing, just running around. And, and, and it's, it's relatively meaningless, whatever we're doing. You know, at the end of the day, you know what, so, so you came to work, you, you came home from work, you made, you know, look, I think meaningless might be a harsh word. You know what, let me take that back. Let me take that back. It's not meaningless, but some people struggle with finding purpose in running around and just paying their bills and, and, and surviving, you know, from one vacation to another vacation. But for me personally, what the Kabbalah has done for me is that it's opened my eyes to be able to find meaning and purpose in every single object to find the godliness in every human being. And not only that, but even in every encounter. When I realize that any person who's talking to me, even if I initially might think that they're different to me, that I'm not interested in what they have to say, that I think they're talking nonsense, maybe. The Kabbalah tells us that nothing happens by mistake. There is a master to this universe and every single detail, experience and apparent mistake is really coordinated by the divine master plan. So therefore I know that I don't become bored or depressed because I constantly recognize that there's a meaning there's a purpose, there's a mission that I'm supposed to fulfill and I'm constantly trying to work out how my next encounter, my next conversation, my next experience is actually part of my mission here in this world. So for me, I, I find myself vacillating between the challenges, between the challenges of uh, life, the way they present themselves to me, you know, when, when, when life gives you curveballs, when life gives you things to worry about, to fret about, worries, fears, and anxieties. And I need to calibrate that with a foundation of my faith, which is allowing myself to have a constant state of divine consciousness, constantly remaining focused and remembering how everything is for a specific purpose. And that's something which the Kabbalah does for me, allowing me to find the godliness, the spirituality within every single experience and encounter. What do you think of that, Rabbi Reese? I think uh, if this is how you experience things, then I'm sure the people of your community of the Chabad House in Palm Beach Gardens are very fortunate to have you next to them. Because this is what it's really all about. It's about living it, you know. It's not a, it's not a profession, Kabbalah, you know. It's something you internalize, you feel, you connect. And people see it, you know, like you were saying for abundant light, you know. When a person is studying it, you know, it's different, you know. He sees things differently, he acts differently, he speaks differently. And people around him benefit from it. To me, the study of Kabbalah is like eating breakfast. 
You know, you can't say that I ate breakfast four and a half months ago and therefore I'm good to go until next year. To me, it's like it's like breathing. When I when I wake up in the morning, I need the study of the Kambala in order to remain focused and to brace myself for the challenges that I'm going to experience today. To make sure that I'm that I'm focused, that I'm balanced, that I'm in a state of equilibrium, and that I can absorb the blows in the way that they're meant to be taken, instead of them, God forbid, knocking me out of whack. But Rabbi, yes, but uh, maybe for the listeners, we should emphasize that it's not just for you as a rabbi who faces all types of spiritual challenges perhaps in your life, you know, is what Kabbalah for. No, it's for every person, every human. While in the past, you asked me about how it used to be decades and centuries ago, you know, it was just an elite group of scholars who preserved actually the wisdom. Nowadays, it's available to all. Let me mention something very important about education, you know. It's really for kids, you know, a child, you know, when do you wait? You know, some people think, oh, Kabbalah is only when I grow. I thought it's only you started 40. Wrong. It's not true. Those teachings of the inner dimension of the Kabbalah, of Hasidic philosophy and everything, it's, of course, it's for kids. You know, you want kids to be exposed to, to spiritual teachings, you know, moral values, spirituality, godliness, you know. Look at kids nowadays and education in general, you know, people are exposed to all kinds of wisdoms in, through the internet, through a few buttons here and publications there, and who knows what, all kinds of information is running, running, running. Stop for a second. Also, there's God bless availability of sense meaningfulness of spirituality and you don't wait till 40 or 30 or 20 you start with your kids at home we absolutely uh, raise our children in that perspective uh, where what we do is is that we teach our children that the purpose of us being born the purpose of us entering this world from the youngest age is because there are every physical space that we come to in this world and every physical food or drink or object that we encounter is there waiting for us to illuminate it a lot like Michelangelo who would speak about the sculptures that he made he would say that he doesn't make sculptures out of nothing he says the sculptures are already there they're just trapped in the stone and he has to redeem them from their imprisonment in the stone that's from Michelangelo we tell our kids that and this is straight from the Kabbalah that everything in the universe has got godly sparks inside of it in the apple that you're craving right now in the golf course that you're you're about to go on to on the uh, cruise that you're about to take there are godly sparks that are waiting to be liberated and they can only be liberated when you yours truly goes there and experiences a mitzvah, a godly connection, a godly act at that spot. So when you make a blessing on the apple, when you light the Shabbat candles on that cruise, when you study a little, uh, share a little tidbit of Torah with your buddy on the golf course, then what you're doing is that you're illuminating that spot with godly light. And our kids are so excited. You know, when, when we get stuck in an airport, God forbid, they'll tell me, Tati, this is in order for us to light up the sparks. Let's go buy a drink so we can make a blessing. Let's say a verse. I remember taking my kids up on top of Table Mountain in Cape Town, South Africa. Up on top of the mountain. It was amazing. You know, it was a big misty cloud on top. They call it the, the, the tablecloth. And out there we had to recite special Torah verses because we needed to redeem the sparks to illuminate the godly sparks. And, and to us, that's a very, very inspirational, uh, purposeful way of living that the kids can know that nothing is random. Nothing is coincidental. Every action of theirs is important and observed by God up in heaven. As we start to wrap it up here, uh, Rabbi Reese is our guest from the Tzfat Kabbalah Center, the city of Tzfat. Rabbi Reese, you've opened your Tzfat Kabbalah Center to be able to allow all peoples, Jews and non-Jews, men and women of all race, colors and creeds and religions to come and experience the Kabbalah for as long or as short as they wish in the city of the Kabbalah. Tell me, what are some of your favorite seminars? Just the titles. What could somebody expect 
when they walk into the Tzfat Kabbalah seminar? So every, every program that we run, whether it's a day long or a few days long or whatever seminar and so on, we call it the Kabbalah retreat. So by the way, sometimes people come to us, you know, from all over the world. They don't just do an Israel tour or a Middle, Middle Eastern tour. They come just to Tzfat to immerse themselves in this. It's like a spiritual getaway that we all need from time to time. However, so our programs include like studying, you know, ancient texts, you know, uh, 16th century Kabbalah, Zohar, um, Hasidic philosophy, Tanya, and so on. This is the st- studios. But we do all kinds of programs like meditation, meditation with Kabbalistic music, Hasidic melodies, deep art and Kabbalah workshops. We have programs, you know, for women. It's called a spa for the feminine soul. This is brilliant. You know, we have groups of women that come to to these kind of programs. Uh, We do walking tours. Walking tours, we call it Kabbalah tour. It's a a brand, actually. (laughs) Kabbalah tour in the old city of Tzfat, in the sites where the Kabbalists learned and this and that, and we study there. There's also a a program that we do, which is done in nature altogether. You know, we go to what's called the power sites. These are the ancient tombs of the sages of the Kabbalists. Power sites. Nice. I like that. Yeah, powerful. It's very powerful. We're going to try that one day. Absolutely. I'm telling you, it's it's transformative. What people describe, what they experience in those sites. We're talking about 2,000 years old caves of the Kabbalists. You know, the cave of Abaya in Rava, the cave of Rava Mnuna, the tomb of Benayahu Benio Yada, a Kabbalist from 3,000 years ago, a biblical figure. Amuka, the valley of love, you pray to find your soulmate. The Meron. valley of love. Wow. So this is something that uh, invites every human on planet Earth, you know, to come and experience it once in a lifetime. Rabbi Reese, we're trying to cap- encapsulate 3,330 years of Kabbalah into 30 minutes. Quite uh, uh, an ambitious uh, feat to reach, but I, I hope that we've been able to give our listeners a taste of the Kabbalah, to be able to insp- experience uh, thirst of uh, this incredible wisdom which is available to you. It's available. You can find it in the Tzfat Kabbalah Center. You can find it in any Chabad house in the world. You can find it online at Chabad.org. You, it's available. It's out there. You've just got to reach out to that apple and pick it off the tree. You'll, you can find a Kabbalah teacher near you at any Chabad center. We're here in Palm Beach Gardens. You can find us online at georgegardens.com. That's www.georgegardens.com. You can always send me an email with your questions or comments at rabbi at georgegardens.com. That's rabbi at georgegardens.com. And you can always visit the Tzfat Kabbalah Center in Tzfat. On your next tour, make yourself a Kabbalah tour. Make it a uh, tour to the Valley of Love. I love this concept. And, and Rabbi Reese, we are planning to come visit you, God willing. Um, pretty soon, God willing, we're going to have a nice trip out there to Tzfat. We'll have a, a real special experience where they will wow. tell the community all about it. But I just want to thank you for joining us here this morning, talking about your passion and your life's experience, which is devoted to the Kabbalah and to sharing it with all those thousands and thousands of tourists that are coming to the city of the Kabbalah, the city of Tzfat. If you could please uh, give us a closing comment. Uh, my closing comment is that, guys, I'm available. <laughs> you can find us also on www.tzfatkabbalah.org or kabbalatour.com or just Google us and we're available. Kabbalatours.com? Kabbalatour.com. Kabbalatour.com. Kabbalatours.com. We have many websites. However, we are available. I mean, my staff, the people work with, I work with, you know, they're all as passionate as I am. We work in many different languages. We host everyone. Please pay us a visit. We'll be there. Thank you very much. And you remind me, you know, that the Kabbalah tells us that more than the calf wishes to drink, the cow wishes to nurse. So more than the student wishes to learn, the teacher wants to teach. Because when you're exposed to this kind of wisdom, the first thing that happens is that you're just overflowing and you just want to share it. 
So find yourself a Kabbalah teacher. Find yourself a Chabad rabbi near or close. Rabbi Yal Reese and Sfat Kabbalah Center. And be inspired. It's going to be an incredible experience. Thank you, Rabbi Reese. Thank you for joining us here this morning. Shalom. Shalom. And have, make it a wonderful week. Lapcom Communications.